0: This is Ken Lubin, and welcome to the Ultimate Hire podcast. What is the Ultimate Hire? The Ultimate Hire is the professional that every business, team, or leader needs in their organization. This is the high performance individual that always rises to the top, brings the team to the next level, and can significantly add to the bottom line. The Ultimate Hire is the person that you can't afford to be without. Finding, attracting, hiring, and retaining these professionals is critical to the success of your business. We have identified these traits and can help you find these top professionals. A little bit about me. I'm a managing director and longest tenured employee with ZRG Partners. I'm the creator of the Ultimate Hire blog, founder of Executive Athletes, a U.S. Olympic Committee career advisor, and endurance athlete as well as following my true passion of being a husband, father, and son. I love to get people out of their comfort zone while helping them achieve their dreams and companies achieve their goals by helping them realize the importance of living a high-performance life. This podcast will feature hiring strategies, interview tips, conversations with key business leaders, as well as other search professionals. This is designed to give individuals and organizations tools and tactics to have a competitive advantage for career growth, business growth, and insights to the most important resource, the people. If anyone has any questions, feel free to reach out to me at klubin at ZRG Partners, and I hope you enjoy the show. This episode's guest is Scott Gilbert. Scott is an experienced HR professional with a passion for building and optimizing HR and talent acquisition teams. He has a demonstrated history of partnering with global and regional leadership to connect business goals to value adding HR and talent initiatives. He has a deep expertise in international recruitment, talent management, organizational development, succession planning, HR consulting, and line management. Currently, Scott is the head of global talent acquisition at Endress and Hauser Group in Basel, Switzerland. He started with Michael Page and grew into leadership positions at Hal Energy, DSM, and Clarion before landing in his current role. He brings a high level of professionalism and leadership to the talent acquisition space. So Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ken. Happy to be here. No, what you've done sounds amazing, and I'm sure you've, you know, like many of us, have been through some interesting downturns here during our executive <laughs> recruitment career. But tell us a little bit about who Scott is from Scott's own words.
1: Sure. So I think the red line through my background is I've been moving around in different countries, uh, it comes from my early childhood moving around because of my father's job as a tennis coach. So I've always sought out the international lifestyle and I was fortunate enough in my career to be offered some opportunities uh, in the Netherlands and then moving down here to the Switzerland-German border area about six years ago. Whole career has been in HR. started out, as you mentioned, in the executive search on the the, uh, agency side before moving to the other side and working through a couple of different companies in the pharma chemical area, and then uh, finally settling into Andres and & Hauser a few months ago uh, in the global talent acquisition role, which is really where my passion lies. I love the combination of international business, meeting lots of interesting people on the outside world, but also setting up processes on the inside world. So anywhere that intersects is, is where I like to be.
0: And that's interesting too, right? If you've seen all different sides from HR to the recruitment side and starting – I think like most of us did in the uh, executive search business and, you know, the Michael pages, the K forces, those types of organizations, right? The agency side and grown into it. Um, You know, what, what are you seeing during this downturn that's different than say 08 and 09, if there is anything different, what are you seeing, you know, how are organizations handling this? What are you seeing from your perspective?
1: Well, I think the first part is the uncertainty. So in 0809 the, there was an awareness that it was a financial downturn uh, there was there was some history and some precedent to how those could be handled. I think the difference with this one is it's pretty unprecedented so nobody's really sure what there's going to be a V curve a U curve are we going to come out of it the same way recession, depression so I think the uncertainty adds a bit of a mystique to the whole situation and that, that's the key difference I think to what I saw in 0809. Both from the candidate side, but also from the, the corporate side.
0: No, and this is unique, right? It's and and it and it's global within a couple of weeks. I think 08 and 09, it started. It started in the U.S., moved to Europe, and sort of moved around the world. Right? It was a quarter by quarter or six months by six months type thing. Where this just mm-hmm. shut down the entire world instantly.
1: True. True. That that is something that uh, was definitely not there in 08 09. And uh, I think you're feeling that a little bit in in the markets now. Although I have to say, in in speaking with some colleagues uh, and also some former colleagues in China uh, and in Taiwan, uh, they're pretty much back on their feet. So I think that gives us some some hope that uh, there is a good rebound possibility here as well.
0: So you're an American living and leading in Europe. Um, which is you know, extremely unique. I think a lot of people envy, would envy what you've done and you've managed your career very well for, you know, for, for a professional. What are you seeing in today's market? Right? What was it like beforehand? Was there any slowdown at all or was it, were you guys moving forward at full speed and then hit the brakes? Tell us a little bit about what happened there.
1: Yeah. So that, that's, that's a pretty good analogy, actually full speed ahead. And then there's something jumped in front of the car and just slam on the brakes there. Um, I remember a few months back talking to some of my teams in, in the U S and, and they were complaining. They really couldn't find people in the market. There was less than 4% unemployment. Uh, candidates were really slow to react because they had choice. Uh, and the same thing was happening in, in all markets. So in, in China, my, my team's there and also in here in, the, in Europe. Uh, They were all on the same issue. So lots of jobs, but not enough candidates. And then literally overnight, that switched. So getting in touch with candidates became more difficult. People became wary of change. They were less open to hear about things because everybody was trying to secure themselves in in one way or another. And suddenly hiring freezes started to come into play. Um, So these are all things that happened immediately. Uh, And uh, I think we're a bit of a shock to the system for everyone and uh, And, as you said before, it really hit everybody not exactly at the same time but but close enough
0: right and what about leadership? How is leadership handling this? I know leadership is similar but different in europe right It's a little bit different mindset than we have in the u s Actually, you probably plan a little bit further ahead and really think more strategically versus quarter by quarter. How is leadership handling this pandemic as well? Have they changed? Have they not changed? What types of initiatives are they taking mm-hmm. in in the in Europe versus globally?
1: Now, it's interesting. I mean, I think you mentioned earlier, you know, being an American and, and working in Europe so that my previous company, my current company are both European-owned, European-headquartered companies with operations also in the U.S. And it's always interesting as an American to work at the headquarters here and have the, especially Central European, the more, let's say, Germanic-Swiss attitude, which is really plan ahead, have everything very structured, everything 100% finished from the planning perspective, and then you take the first step, whereas a lot of my American colleagues were saying, hey, we're 70% there, let's just hit the road, let's get this done, and trying to bridge the gap there. So I think that also played out in how the handling of this uh, crisis came about, um, there's that aspect plus the aspect of um, you know different companies handling different ways. Uh, I was on the phone earlier today with a, a peer group of mine. Uh, we meet every two months or so and just exchange on, on different ideas. And it was interesting to see some of the corporations making very clear statements uh, at the very beginning of this uh, pandemic to say, we will not fire anybody. So everybody will have their job. We will figure out a way through this, uh, do this together. While other organizations had not made statements like that and have gone to much different approaches, whereas they're trying to either furlough people or or lay off people completely. And so I I think it's important, the style of management here, to be very clear in messaging from the beginning, giving people an impression, yes, we're going to have a rough time, but we'll take care of you. Or listen, financially, we're in big trouble now and we're going to need to make some moves. So I think the clarity of message to me was quite important from, from a leadership perspective, that they're able to say it and say it uh, consistently throughout the whole, the whole period.
0: No, and that clarity is key because it, I think it gives a level of peace, either good or bad, right? It's either peace of, that they're going to take care of you or it's actually giving you closure, right? Versus not having any closure at all and just waking up every morning and wondering what's going to happen.
1: No, exactly. And I think it's also it's nerve-wracking for a lot of people. I mean, people have mortgages, they have uh, they kids to take care of, they have a lot of personal situations to deal with. And so I think the the more sympathetic a company can be and the more clear it can be about what's happening and, and try to do as much as they can for the people, in my opinion, that pays off dividends in the long run. Uh, if you look at companies that didn't handle very well in 08-09, that reputation stayed with them for a while. And people don't quickly forget and especially if you talk about certain job markets, whether in, in uh, areas such as specific cities or specific regions, companies are very well known, either for good or for bad, and I think how a company handles it in these kinds of situations. There's a lot about it. its real culture and not the employer branding or branded culture they project to the world, but what actually happens. I think that's where leadership can really stand out.
0: Many people here in the U.S. right, probably ninety, uh, probably eighty five percent ended up working from home during this crisis. The kids ended up doing homeschooling, and it sort of goes to show the resiliency of of us as humans. And I believe it's the same in Europe, and that's where I'm going to get to. But you know what? What's the culture, the work from home culture like? Did most of the people end up working from home? Did um, are they just sort of taking this as a as a yeah, you know, I don't want to say a break, but a window of not, you know, really being that productive. How are things happening there?
1: Yeah, it, it's, it's mixed. I mean, some people like myself are, are loving it. Um, I have an hour and 15 minute commute each way to work. So having to work from home is a bit of a blessing in that regard. And uh, especially in the springtime. Um, it, it's mixed though. I mean, um, depending on, here you, you come into within Europe, for example, um, you know, the culture of each country, uh, and for example, Germany and Switzerland are very traditional in their approach to work. So they, the managers quite often prefer having somebody work in the office. They don't believe in working from home. They think people will just be sitting at home, twiddling their thumbs or, or, you know, playing video games or whatever and not working. Whereas in some other European countries, and let's say especially in Northern Europe, uh, in the Netherlands or Scandinavia, it's more ingrained in the culture to to have uh, work from home as part of the the regime there. So uh, you're seeing a mixed mixed element. Um, but to be honest, it, it, one silver lining of this whole uh, pandemic is that it's really accelerated the the notion that work from home is not only a possibility, but actually could be a benefit to a lot of people. And I think it's slowly changing the mindsets uh, of a lot of more traditional companies and traditional management styles here.
0: The same thing is happening here um, because they've had to adapt, right? And actually I was speaking to a CEO actually on this podcast a a week or so ago and they have um, productivity management tools, right? Um, That they can manage, see what they're doing more on a sales basis, but other ones as well. Mm -hmm. And they're really seeing that, people are actually more productive working from home. And like you were saying, it's an hour and 15 commute each way, plus getting ready, plus everything in the morning, that's four hours, three and a half to four hours a day that can actually be in productive and making stuff happen.
1: Exactly. And, and there's less stress, um, you know, the whole road rage and traffic. And in my case, I have to cross a a country border to, to get to work. And so there's a lot of traffic jams around that. And, So it just reduces stress levels. Um, I'm able to spend more time also with the kids. Uh, But at the same time, you begin to work more flexibly. So there could be a time in the middle of the day where I just don't feel like working, which happens also in the middle of most people's days where you're having a bit of a downtime where you just need a break. If you work from home, you can just take that break. And then maybe later on, you spend three, four hours intensively working uh, and get things done. So you do actually, I believe, in the long run, get more done. Um, the one downside I'm hearing from colleagues and from some peers is that they're missing a little bit of the whole sort of a water cooler, or coffee machine, uh, quick chats, uh, quick uh, dialogues, because in the, the downside to it is you have to do everything a bit more formally. Um, so if you want to, have to catch up with somebody, you have to find the time in their agenda, block it, make a meeting. Whereas if you're working in the office, it's just pop into their office or, or walk around the corner and say, hey, let's grab coffee and, and, and talk about something. So that that's the flip side. But uh, I think from a productivity perspective, uh, there's definitely uh, no, no harm being done from working uh, from the home working office.
0: And I love that you said, sort of the flexibility of it, because people work different and better at certain hours of the day right it's not everyone's ingrained in their sort of DNA to work nine to five I would, I'm a big fan of getting up and start work right away five or 5 30 in the morning and go hard and then take a quick break at lunch go do a workout and then come back at it versus you know and be and be able to wrap up at five o'clock versus other people that love to start working at eight o'clock at night and work till three in the morning Th- those types of things and that's I think that's where you're going to see the productivity increase, right? People are sort of going on their, sort of their national or natural circadian rhythm.
1: No, exactly. And I think especially people that have either regional or or global positions, um, that to me is quite, quite natural because a lot of times your, your team or maybe even your, your major stakeholders are, are six, seven hour time zones away. So I think, at the end it doesn't really matter if you're productive as you said at 5am or 3pm or or 10pm or, or um, as long as you get what you need to get done and are there when you need to be there i think everything else is uh will come with it
0: i love it and it's a funny story sort of sidebar story here i was doing some recruiting in poland in germany when my kids when i had a newborn back in 2009 2010 and she loved to get up around 4 430, and I would just get up, grab my laptop, start working, and make phone calls at that point because it allow it was perfect for the schedule. So I loved what you said there is people are working in time zones six, seven, eight hours away, but it allows them to really focus on what works for them.
1: Yeah, exactly. and I-
0: All right, little technical difficulty. We're we're cross border here, so if anyone's listening, <laughs> no, we had a little technical so cross border business. difficulty. It, it's what happens. It's it's life, right? We adapt, and we're dealing with adaptation right now. But I think we're talking about sort of you know the flexible work hour stuff.
1: Exactly, exactly. No, I just think that in the end, it's going to be a big uh, a big value add to, to the whole thing. I mean, just a, a small example uh, because of the whole uh, COVID nineteen element. You know, one of uh, one of my colleagues uh, who works five days a week uh, in the office in Basel, but he lives himself in in, uh, in Munich, so he's a, a weekly commuter. And that means during the week he normally doesn't get to see his kids, but uh, because of this whole situation and working from home, he's got to spend his, his kids' birthdays with them this time, which is a rarity because they fell in the middle of the week. So little little bits and pieces that help that I think you know will help people be more motivated and more engaged uh, in their workplace.
0: No, and I love that. And I love what you said earlier. There is there is a silver lining in it. Though, like, the downside is the water cooler or being like, hey, let's go grab lunch. And and that's where a lot of the great ideas come from. But I think more and more people too are becoming acclimated to Zoom and Skype and Teams and video conferencing. I know in the US, it was never a big thing until <laughs> a month ago. And now people are doing it because they want to be able to see other people. They want to be able to engage via Via video, it's it's almost a cultural shift. Yeah,
1: no, exactly. It, it is that, and I think it's also uh, a, a shift in, in mindsets. And I think you know it, it will accelerate a lot of the more traditional managers who really are not comfortable with people working from home uh, or working remotely to show them that hey, this is possible and and it's working. So let's let's give it a, a, another chance.
0: So you're talking to colleagues all around the world, from China to Europe to the U.S. What do you what are you hearing? Where do you see this going? What what sort of the scuttlebutt in the marketplace?
1: Yeah, so I think um, uh, what you feel in uh, in China and Taiwan is that they've gotten over this basically. They're back to to regular working times, and you know, albeit with uh, with masks uh, and, and different safety measures, but they're they're back uh, to full swing. Um, what you have in, in Europe is uh, there's definitely going to be a downturn, that, that's for sure. You, you feel it uh, in different sectors, um, from automotive to, to electronics, uh, you know, the demand has gone down for a lot of areas. Um, while on the flip side, in a lot of other areas, you know, if I talk to colleagues and or peers and, and uh, let's say, uh, different online services, they're, they're booming at the moment. They can't handle the volume. So I think that's, um, that's being caused in, in Europe. Um, And in the U.S., again, I think uh, it really depends on uh, where. Uh, So colleagues that are in in areas that are less affected, um, you know, are are having an easier time uh, and business is slowly returning. Um, But if I compare business in the U.S. versus China at the moment, and if I look at the numbers from Q1, uh, at least some businesses that I've heard, the U.S. is suffering a little bit more at the moment. Uh, whether that will continue, hard to say, but that's what's what I'm hearing at the moment.
0: No, I think you nailed it on the head a little bit with the different areas opening up, right? I think there's areas less affected than others. I think New York is still going to get hammered a little bit. Boston is one of the hot spots as well because it's where obviously more people are than there are in other parts of the country. I'm sure LA and Philly mm-hmm. and DC are similar too of what's happening in the marketplace. What um, – yeah. Hiring. What do you, where do you see hiring going moving forward? Obviously, you know, you do a lot of executive stuff. I think what we're seeing, there's still a need for executive, but it's, it's on pause. Where do you guys see the executive level hiring happening uh, moving forward?
1: Yeah, so that was, that was part of the conversation I had uh, earlier today with that peer group. Um, and these guys were also heads of talent acquisition for some very large companies and, and Uh, mainly headquartered in in Europe, but also some some U.S.-based companies. And um, interestingly enough, uh, they're not seeing a real downside to it. What they're seeing is actually difficulty in finding people. So they're starting to revert to some interesting methods there. So some companies are starting to really look at almost internal headhunting, if you will. So trying to, as much as possible, stimulate their own people to take on positions because they can't find people out there because the marketplace is being more cautious now. People are less eager to jump into a a new position. They see it as a risk, uh, whether that's true or not, is a different story, but that's a perception. Um, The other part is they are starting to hire, even at the executive level, uh, people that uh, will have never come into the office. So they will have not met them face to face, nor will the candidate have seen the premises which is a rarity and and something that uh, is, is, uh, especially at the executive level, almost unheard of. Um, However, circumstances dictate that this is the the scenario you have to follow now. And then the last piece on that is actually doing virtual onboarding. So people, they get hired, and then their first day at the office, so to speak, is on their home office. And it could be that the first week, month, or even two months, uh, or even longer, could be done uh, from home. So again, this is a whole different paradigm of of hiring, um, which brings a whole new challenges. But thankfully, um, because of technology, it can be done. I mean, you were talking about 2008, 2009, 2010, and and the crisis then. I mean, if we'd had this kind of situation then, we didn't have the technology. So it would really have done, I think, been much more disastrous uh, from a recruitment perspective. Uh, but thanks for the technology and, and the, the things you mentioned, whether it be Zoom or, or other type of, uh, of of tech, we're able to manage it now, and this is continuing. So it's slowly happening that people are, are coming, to the term, coming to terms with the fact that, hey, I'm not going to meet this person. I'm not going to shake their hand. Uh, I'm not going to have a coffee with them, but I'll do it all via the screen, and we'll, we'll hire them. We'll negotiate the contract, and we'll get it settled that way.
0: Which is unbelievable, right? I think at that executive level, but it's becoming—it's sort of becoming unnecessarily evil. I, and I think you guys in Europe actually yeah. were more comfortable before we were even. I, I know a lot of even China and Europe and Asia were were used to doing video stuff much more than we were here in the states. That was another piece of it. And I think um, we're hearing the same thing here. Actually, I had placed a chief marketing officer at a fintech whose first day was the first day of the lockdown. <laughs> so he's oh, been boy. working from home <laughs> the entire time. The good thing is he was able to lead the, you know, meet the leadership team. But at that point right. it was now he's leading his entire marketing team via remote. And it's a it's a unique it was definitely a unique onboarding experience, number one. But I also think it's a level of, you know, he's thriving a bit too because it can really show uh you know their digital ability and i think for a marketing role that's that's huge right is understanding that i think probably more for a line or an ops person might be a little bit different um from that perspective absolutely no absolutely
1: i think that's uh, a sorry go ahead no you go go for it no i was just gonna say i think that that's absolutely the case and and especially for for the marketing i think from from a sales perspective we're seeing that uh, the commercial roles they're a bit more used to it. They're used to not meeting their boss or seeing their boss once in an interview and then not, not for six months or so. But I think marketing and then some of the other roles there are definitely um, much more office based a lot of times. Um, so yeah, I totally agree with you.
0: What about, and I know here in the U S or exec candidates were obviously a little leery, right. And doing everything remote and doing everything and and executives and hiring people remote, Two, What's how's the overall feeling shifted? I think you know we talked about it's happening, but what's the general feeling that you're getting? Are people more leery of it? Or are people okay with it? Where do things stand there? I'm just curious.
1: Yeah, I, I think um, you know the early adapters, the ones that felt most comfortable with it, were the ones anyway that um, are used to working that way or have more. Uh, At least uh, more of an easy feeling with it. Um, I I know some senior management uh, both at at my current company as well as uh, some people from previous companies that uh, it's very difficult for them. You know, they they get conflicted as far as um, they don't feel comfortable making a final decision unless they, you know, sat face to face with somebody and looked them in the eye, um, which is understandable. Um, It's been that way for many years and it's, it's a tough change uh but i think again um it's it's uh, necessity is is driving innovation in this case and, and people are having to adapt and you know they, if they're faced with having a vacancy in the key position or not meeting somebody but having them start i think they're choosing for, for the latter so i think the you know that's that's what's happening
0: no that's in and it's like you said it's it's a shift and i think it's a good shift i think it's good for all of us i think it's thinking outside the box. And like I've saying earlier is how resilient humans are when faced with sort of not a tragedy, but sort of this, uh, these challenging times, which is in the same sentence it's sort of fun, right? It's sort of fun to see what we can actually pull off versus what we can't pull off. No,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's also forced a lot of, if you talk about uh, the tech company, you know tech or, or CIO type positions and and you know guys that are in, uh, in in senior management in that area, it's also I think forced a lot of them to think outside the box and how are we going to connect our people? Uh, how are we going to deal with data security? How are we going to deal with uh, cybersecurity? Uh, because you know it's, it's great on one hand to be able to do everything with 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 tech, but what are the what are the risks there? You know and, and what are we setting ourselves up for? So I think it also started some interesting conversations among uh, among senior IT folks about let's make sure we do this in the right way because everybody's jumping on this bandwagon and and I agree with it too. I'm I've jumped on you know you know full steam ahead, Uh, but I I had heard heard some people say we have to be careful. There are some inherent risks with it as well.
0: Right, right. And but there's inherent risk with everything that you don't really know either, right? It's the uncertainty, but that's when you sort of figure it out. And I think the best part about this whole downturn is you can't really fail. That's the other thing, right? You know, it, it's sort of get out of jail free card to try new things. It's to try new absolutely. things as a company, try new things as candidates. It's It's sort of a, if you look at it that way, all of a sudden it's a different mindset shift.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So That's the so, best time for innovation. To try it out.
0: <laughs> exactly. What was it? Uber, Airbnb, all those started during 08 and 09 and they became the biggest yeah. companies in the world with zero infrastructure. So it's pretty, it's going to be pretty interesting to see where this goes from here. I think it's going to shift schools. It's going to shift again, the work from home thing. It's going to, I think almost generate a, a better quality of life in some perspectives and, you know, in others, it might be going backwards a little bit, but, um, the world of connectivity is here and it's here to stay. And now it's, you know, now it's real.
1: No, Absolutely.
0: But anyway, Scott, this, this is great. This is a half hour. I really appreciate your time today, taking some time. It's the middle of the day in Europe. So um, where can people find more about you? Where can they check you out? I'll put your LinkedIn profile on, on the show notes and everything, but if anyone wants to get you and and, reach out to you, how can they do that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think probably the easiest is uh, just uh, drop me a message on LinkedIn. Uh, Happy to connect with anybody and, and, have a dialogue about any of the topics that were discussed or just, yeah, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of HR happiness. So um, feel free to reach out.
0: Perfect. We're there. And if anyone has any questions, comments, feedback, um, feel free to reach out to me at Lubin at ZRG partners as well. But again, Scott, I really appreciate your time today. I appreciate your insight and um, you know, just want to uh, thank you again.
1: Ken, it's been my pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me on.
0: Perfect. And again, make sure you subscribe to the Ultimate Hire podcast and just keep on keeping on out there. So we'll get through this together. Thanks, guys.